Father Lord, we just come before you right now in the name of your son, Christ Yeshua. And Father, I'm not going to belabor it. Father, I pray that you allow me to release it just as you have imparted it to me. Father, I pray that my human nature not come into this moment, my God, but that as you have imparted it to me, as you have given me the vision of it, my God, may you speak here today, my God, to your children, Lord. I pray for those that are listening live. I pray for those who are listening by radio and podcast at some later date that they all be sanctified into this moment together. And we pray, Father God, that no folly, no spirit of unrighteousness, no deception, no confusion, no doubt, no worry, enter into this moment, my God, but may we have a holy moment in you. See us not through our sins, but through the blood of Jesus, that we might understand you and that we might come to abide in you in righteousness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Saints, um, this morning, a uh, spirit of God came upon me in regards to this point about understanding God. And um, I can't tell you that this series is going to be one part, two part, three part, five part. I don't know, because God is leading me step by step through it. And it may take a different face each day. I have no idea. But there is a, a vision of multitudes, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And they fail inside that valley because they do not understand God. Now, we understand this, that there's no way that we inside our natural selves could ever completely understand God as finite beings. Understanding an infinite being might be difficult, but God has left us wisdom through his word, through the scriptures, so that we could come to understand enough of him to be acceptable to him. Hallelujah. And so I want to just start by saying that you're not going to hear anything here if you fellowship with us before. You're not going to hear anything here you haven't heard before on some level. I'm hoping that the impact of this message will have the change in your spirit. You're not going to hear new information, but you are going to have an opportunity to make fresh decisions. You are going to have an opportunity while in the valley of decision to make righteous decisions and to allow God to bless you and to lift you up. And so we're going to talk about different attributes and natures of God, which help define the type of person he is, his character, his heart, his thought process, his being. And so we talked about these things before, but we're going to talk about them again. God is absolutely sovereign, meaning that he takes complete responsibility for absolutely everything. And that's why he will bring some things into judgment, because he's also absolutely just. And in his absolute sovereignty and in his absolute justice, he must bring everything to account. But fortunately for us, he's also absolutely loving. And in his absolute love, he looks to bring harmony. He looks to bring peace. He looks to bring us together in a unity under the spirit. And he looks to redeem us. Hallelujah. And so to understand God, we can't look at him from our own opinions. We can't look at him from our own emotions. We can't look at him from our own ideas. We can't look at him from our own concepts and our own belief system. We've got to see him for who he is and realize that he's completely above us in every area. So then we must become broken and contrite to receive him in the glory. And when he created man, he created him in that brokenness and in, in, in that contrition. 
And inside that brokenness and inside that contrition, man was perfectly in unity with God covered by the Holy Spirit. But man rebelled against God and decided to have an opinion of his own, to sit inside his own counsel, to sit inside the counsel of the enemy. And then a derision occurred, a division occurred between the absoluteness of God, which we shared in union with him through the Holy Spirit, and now this finite being, which has its own opinions, which don't always agree with God, and its own passions and wills and desires, which again, do not agree with God. That was never meant to be, and when Adam was in the garden, it never occurred. He named the animals, and God was in agreement. He prophesied to Eve, and God was in agreement. He tended the garden, and God was in agreement. Where they fell into disagreement is when the absolute character and the attributes of God were no longer communing with man 100%, but now man had developed his own ideas in his own ways. And in God's absolute justice, he determined that man must die because he gave an edict, eat of this tree and you shall surely die. And God is not a liar, nor is he a man that he would change his mind. And so his absolute justice must be satisfied. But inside the context of his absolute justice, his absolute love wanted to see his children redeemed. But the only way to redeem his children would be to satisfy his absolute justice. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, that he might die for our sins so that his absolute justice could be satisfied. So his absolute love could be satisfied. And of course, we love the part about his absolute love, but we're not so keen on the part about his absolute justice, except where it is that Jesus has to bear our sins. And so there are multitudes, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And where the spirit of the enemy is, is they're trying to paint a spirit of confusion so that you do not understand God. So that on the last day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did I not do many works in your name? Did I not have visions and dreams? And did I not heal and do many miracles in your name? And he will say to them, verily, verily, I say unto thee, I do not know you. Get away from me, you workers of iniquity. In fact, he said that many would try to enter the kingdom and not be able to. How does a God who is absolutely loving make it so difficult to get into the kingdom? Why does he just make it easy so that everybody can just make it? See, when you start to understand God, you understand that that's impossible because that does not satisfy his absolute justice. So this is what God has said. If you are a righteous person and you do righteous things, and then as your years go on, you go, what have I gained from all this righteousness that I've been abiding in? And you start to do wickedness. The righteous things you've done will no longer be remembered, but the wicked things you've done will be remembered, and you shall surely die. My justice will fall upon you. He says, but conversely, let's say there was a wicked man who lived all his life in wickedness. And then near the end of his life says, what am I doing? If I go to face my father in all this wickedness, he will surely put me to death. And he repents and stops sinning. He will, all his sins will no longer be remembered. Only the righteousness he did at the end will be remembered and he shall surely live. Now, the nation of Israel did not like this prophetic word that God gave them. And he said to them, you say my word, my ways are unjust, but is it not your ways that are unjust? 
Am I to delight in the destruction of my creation? Am I to delight in the destruction of my children? You see, his absolute justice needs to be satisfied, but his absolute love is creating a way out. And he's not going to forsake his justice, just as he's not going to forsake his love. If he was going to forsake his love, he would have never sent his son to the cross for us. So he will not forsake his love, but he will not forsake his justice. And so in order to enter into the kingdom, we must pass through the pathway that he has assigned, not the pathway that we think we could create. And sometimes we confuse ourselves and think we can make up our own righteousness. We can make up our own way. We can make up our own direction. We can decide to do whatever we done well please. And God is just going to accept it because that's me. See, these are the people in the valley of decision that will not make it. He says the path to life is narrow and cramped, but the path of destruction is wide and spacious. And the reason why is because people do not understand God. Adam fell from grace and God extended and put him out of the garden. And God put a cherubim in front of it with a flaming sword to stop him from being able to eat of the tree of life. And then he gave him a prophetic word. Well, I'm not doing it in chronological order. He probably gave him the prophetic word first. He gave the prophetic word, which he really gave to Satan, which basically said, I'm going to redeem man through an heir, a seed, a faithful seed that will redeem mankind. But man did not take to heart God's plan to redeem him. And man became increasingly wicked. And so God brought a flood and he wiped out all of mankind and he left Noah and his family only to fulfill the prophecy. After God did this, he said, I will never do it again. I will never destroy the earth by way of a flood. Probably because out of his love and his nurturing heart, he didn't want man to fear a flood every time it rained. He didn't want man to live petrified every time it started to rain. Will it stop or is it gonna keep going forever? Notice the love of God. See, to understand God, you've got to understand absolute sovereignty, absolute love, and absolute justice, all having equal priority. No, his love does not supersede his justice. His love, his justice, and his sovereignty all operate with equal authority. And each one must be satisfied or God will not be at peace. There will be hostility between God and anything that will not come into communion with his justice, his sovereignty, and his love. There will be a wall of hostility, and he will ultimately go to war with anyone who does not respect those three things. What protects us is the blood of Jesus. His love has given us a way out, a way to submit to his sovereignty and a way to escape his justice, the rightful justice that is due us from the garden, death. Now, this by its very nature is offensive to the sinful nature because it speaks to its destruction. And the sinful nature tries to co-opt itself with your person so that you are confused between yourself and the sinful nature so that the sinful nature sometimes is able to operate because of this confusion. But there is Christ. I'm now giving you a paraphrase of what John himself wrote in 1 John about the whole process of being redeemed 
from being subjected to God's justice. And so he calls Noah the righteous one. And Noah repopulates the earth. But the man once again goes in his own direction. And he calls Abraham. And he makes him into a patriarch. And he decides to make of him a great nation. Surely I will fulfill my plan through Abraham. And Abraham shall help me fulfill my prophecy to send them a promised seed. Abraham passes it along to Isaac, and Isaac passes it along to Jacob, and Jacob passes it along to the patriarchs, his sons. Ultimately, a great nation is built, and the anointing is passed on to them. Surely they will see that I have chosen them and made them a great people. I will call them out of Egypt, and I will call them, and I will woo them, and I will humble them, and I will bring their hearts close to me. Surely then they will know my love. But no, once again, man drifts away and goes about in his own direction. And so he punishes that nation to which he had called. He punishes that bride to which he had wed, and he sends them off into exile. But how can a God with such an infinite love allow his justice to do his to do damage to his nation, to its complete destruction? So he calls them back a remnant and he calls them back till they give birth to a son. They give birth to a son. God's son, his one and only son, his only begotten son, the beloved of all. Surely they'll respect him, and surely they will listen to him. No, they not only don't listen to him, but they put him to death. But this was all in my knowledge already, says the Lord. And it was part of my plan that through his death, there would be a debt to him. And he would claim for the debt owed him for the injustice, the people. And so ransomed over to the people, ransomed over to Christ are the people. And now Christ, as the ransom sacrifice, now becomes the heir of all of mankind. Surely after I've done this, man will listen. Surely after I send my Holy Spirit, man will listen. Surely after this, I can baptize them in my spirit, and I will put my covenant into their heart, and I will put my words on their minds, and then surely they will follow me, and surely they will see my love and my diligence to redeem them from my justice. But no, he writes seven letters to seven churches, of which five of them he rebukes, one of them he blesses, and one of them was kind of in a blessing. They still needed a little correction. You see, we always resist the Holy Spirit. We resist the Holy Spirit because multitudes, multitudes, decision don't consistently abide in the understanding of God. Now, I speak to you now as a prophet, so I come to you with words from the Lord, and I'm subjected to the words as you are subjected. I have not obtained this great understanding, and I don't walk 24 by 7 inside that understanding. But the Spirit of the Lord says that multitudes are existing in the valley of decision, that only a few are going to make it into the glory, and those few will walk and abide in the understanding of my person. I'm going to read something to you 
And I don't want to read it. You know, Apostle Ernest was in the Bible college yesterday and he made a comment. He said, we need to look at the word as a mirror, not with a magnifying glass. See, when you look with a magnifying glass, you examine everybody else's behavior and you point out all the mistakes that they made. But when you look at it as a mirror, you see yourself and you are humbled. You are made broken. You are made contrite as God had intended so that his spirit could take the leadership. See, his sovereignty wants sovereignty over you, but you also have a sovereignty. So his absolute sovereignty is not reigning inside your mortal body. And like I told you before, anybody, anything that does not completely 100% respect his sovereignty, his love, and his justice ultimately is going to face warfare with the Lord. You say, I don't agree with that. I have Jesus. Yes. And that's what's protecting you from his justice. And so the fact that you're not 100% submitted to his sovereignty is protected by the blood. And the fact that you're not 100% righteous in your justice is protected by the blood. And the fact that his 100% love has provided you with the gift of his son protects you as well. But that protection is for the purpose of growth and maturation. That protection is for the purpose of elevation and transformation. That protection is there so that you mature into the respect of 100% of his sovereignty, into the respect of 100% of his justice, into the respect of 100% of his love. And you won't even attain that in this life. You will need God to work a miracle on you to give you a glorified body. This is why he told the, the apostles, he said, listen, it is not possible with man, but with God, all things are possible. And so it's difficult to understand this God that seems so cold in his justice, but so abiding in his love and so demanding in his sovereignty, yet so gracious with his love. And to understand all of those things operating simultaneously is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Adam lost in the garden. And that's what we got back at Pentecost 33 CE. But we also still have a sinful nature that is constantly warring with God's sovereignty and constantly warring with God's love and constantly warring with God's justice. With whom shall we decide? Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Each day, you're in this valley of decision. Will I choose to listen to the Holy Spirit and abide in the conscience of God? Or will I operate in the flesh and exploit the grace of Jesus Christ? The grace was not given so that you could lavish in your sin. The grace was given that is justice not roll on like a river and overflow you and drown you and you die. And so to understand God and to see his justice and to see his love and to see his sovereignty all working together is somewhat confusing. We have a problem with our memory. We, we, we become forgetful of the forgiveness of the sins past. We become forgetful of the awesomeness and the awe of God. And we become forgetful of how, trickery, how much trickery the sinful nature participates in to get us to abide in it. And even though it may appear like different mistakes, 
we make the same mistake over and over again. It just manifests itself in a different way. What can help us out of this? Who can save us from this body of death? Glory be to Christ Jesus. For those of you who know your word, I just paraphrased and quoted the great apostle Paul. And so the whole word of God is a love story. But you're not going to understand it as a love story if you do not understand God. The Bible is a love story. He killed women. He killed children. He killed old people. He killed babies. He sent people into complete annihilation. Love story? That's his justice, which must roll on, and he will not deny it. And God does not have to answer to us, but he does reveal himself to us. See, the sinful nature wants to be God, so the sinful nature wants God to hold accountability to it. But God will never submit himself to a human sinful nature and hold himself subject because that would rob him of his sovereignty. Remember, inevitably, anything or anyone that will not honor his absolute sovereignty, his absolute love, and his absolute justice, he will eventually be at war with them. The war with us has been evaded, abated. The war with us has been covered over. The war with us has been finished because of the blood of Jesus. But sometimes we can confusing. It's hard to keep all the thoughts in our head, right? Justice, just wait, wait, love, wait, wait, sovereignty, no justice, no love. Absolute, all three at the same time, always, always, all three at the same time, always, always, always. It's hard. It's hard to understand. And it's impossible to fathom without the Holy Spirit. And this is why he said God gave him his laws and he gave him his righteous edicts, but fault was still found in the people. And so he said, I will do a new thing. I will take my laws and I will write them on their, my hearts and I will take my thoughts and I will write them in their minds and they will prophesy. The fault that was found in the people was the absence of the perfection and the dynamic perfection of the Holy Spirit without the presence of the sinful nature. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. What will you decide? Father Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this series that you're bringing us to understanding you. And Father, wherever you want to go with this, Father, here we are. We're ready to stay submitted, my God. We pray, my Lord, that if anything has been offensive to you, my Lord, that you forgive us, my God. Bring correction to it, Father God. We pray for absolute brokenness and contrition before you, that your righteousness, that your holiness, that your, your the beauty of your, of, of your person become a part of our being, my God, and that we can rebuke our sinful natures. We can rebuke our human natures, and we can see ourselves as ourselves and understand your glory and understand the need to operate in constraint, to understand the need to have circumcised hearts and minds. Hallelujah. Circumcision is a cutting off. What you're cutting off is what wasn't supposed to be there. What you're cutting off is what Adam birthed in the garden, what Satan manipulated Adam into birthing in the garden. 
So the sign of circumcision of the physical was a sign of a circumcision to come in the spiritual, a circumcision of your mind, the cutting off of the thought process and sinful nature so that the absolute sovereignty of God could reign. The cutting off of the sinful nature aspect of your heart so that the emotions and feelings that are, un, uh, that are not of God would be cut off. So circumcised hearts and circumcised mind means the cutting off. But these things do not go away lightly. So I'm going to read this. This is going to be our closing. For those of you who got the email, you know it runs from 6.30 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. We have, we have eight minutes. I'm going to read you something. And again, I want you not to look at it with a magnifying glass. Look at it with a mirror. This is Acts chapter 7. Then the high priest asked him, he's talking about Stephan, all these charges were laid against him. Are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers, fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land in which I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground, but God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at the time Abraham had no children. God spoke to him in this way, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish that nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. Because, of the, patri because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him into slavery into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all of his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all of Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our, fa he sent our fathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in a tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor of she at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king, who knew nothing about Joseph, became ruler of Egypt, he dealt treacherously with our people and opposed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. That time Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was care cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. 
Moses had thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt one another? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? You want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Now, when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in flames of, burn, of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. And as he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses was trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses who they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and delivered them and deliverer by God himself, though through the angel who had appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt, at the Red Sea, and for 40 years in the desert. This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our fathers, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him in their hearts and turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf, and they brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with what was written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings for 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Moloch and the star of your god, Raphan, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had said, he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for God, for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, the Most High does not live in the houses made by men, as the prophets say. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? But where will my resting place be? Has not my hands made all these things? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your forefathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your, father did not, your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. 
you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. Now, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. All, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep in death. Now, if we look at this with a magnifying glass, we could say that these Pharisees were evil men. But use it as a prophetic typology while in this valley of decision. Did we serve Jesus 100% with all our heart and mind? No. We lifted up the star. What did he say? I want to read it exactly the way he said it. Did you bring me sacrifices and birth offerings for 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Moloch and the star of your god, Raphan, the idols you made to worship. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. What will you decide? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your special name among men. We ask that the souls be blessed. We ask that no heart be grieved beyond what the spirit would grieve them, that no heart be let down. In, in opposition to the movement of the spirit in their life in this season. We pray that everyone receives in the right light and that they understand in the right light so that they might understand you and grow and mature and find life in peace. We pray, Father God, that we are of the few that are on the narrow and cramped road, not of the ones that are on the wide and spacious road. May your glory continue to overshadow us and may every deception be exposed. May every lie be exposed. May every falsehood be exposed to the fullness of your son, Christ Jesus, is seen on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. And the body of Christ says, can we get an amen in the house of the Lord? Amen. 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 Praise God. Have a great morning, saints. You all too. You too.